Oh, and I'm surprised you haven't made fun of my Beacon emails yet, but maybe you're saving that up. (laughs) And next week we get to talk about that operating agreement and how it ties into divorce attorneys. The mark of a professional is being able to distill complex ideas in very simple ways. They lost $2 billion in a quarter and they're all still functioning. (laughs) Can't wait till the kids get out of diapers because then maybe we can just jump on a plane the same day too. Hey guys, welcome back to the Results Junkies podcast. Paul is chugging on a Starbucks here first thing in the morning. I am still groggy from uh, what feels like a three rounds with Mike Tyson, but was actually a, a an emergency Disney trip. We've got stuff to talk about in terms of third-party delivery companies. I've got Beacon updates flowing into my inbox. What's going on, man? Well, I'm a couple cups of coffee in. It's still, what is it, like 9 a.m. or whatever here. And, and uh, we're on the eight-week sleep regression for my youngest. And... Uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a bit on the struggle bus, <laughs> but um, I also want to hear why you. I still am not sure why you called that Disney trip an emergency trip because it like it, it it's a fun trip. We'll talk more about it here in a minute. But like <laughs> emergency, I thought I was like, oh, he's doing a fundraising thing. He's out there going quick. I got it. And then you explained <laughs> why you were doing. It. I was like, that's not an emergency. That's because you just wanted to do it, and that's cool too. Just say that. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely a last minute decision. Um, and I think you know, you you really exposed me to something in in um in 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 the way that you you said something to me via text. And I think it's interesting. And it's it's the thing I've struggled with um ever since I started my blog was just trying to find this right place to monetize. Mostly because I'm not, you know, like I, obviously you know that's not my day job. So, so I focus on how to improve revenue in the restaurants and how to pick startups better and all that stuff. Um, but I don't focus on this other part. And you said something which I thought was interesting. Um, and I hope, hopefully you remember how you said it. So you were talking about how you you thought about about how like you, you thought like similarly in terms of God, what's what were you? You talked about how you, we are similar financial stature, and you thought that maybe you could pull off the trip. And then I actually explained the math behind it. Do you remember that? Yes. Okay. So let okay. me let me set this up. Okay. So, uh, f- f- you know, little little inside baseball for everybody here. Sorry so about typically, my word salad just there. Yeah, like, that yeah. was horrible. Uh, so typically, you know, at, so the way this podcast started, Ed and I talk every Friday for years, and now we just the only difference is we hit the record button. So, uh, but for whatever reason, this past week we had to move the meeting to a Monday. Anyway, what happened was over the weekend, he texts me and he says, Ed says, um, I got a reschedule Monday, emergency trip to Disney, um, you know, whatever. And I'm like, cool. I'll, and I just moved the calendar invite to, to Tuesday. No, no big deal. But then it got me thinking, I was talking to my, my wife, Dana about it. And I was just texting Ed back and kind of giving him a bit of a ribbing. And I was like, Hey, Dana wants to know uh, if you need help on these emergency Disney trips. Um, also, what kind of emergency is at Disney <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> and that's when you responded back and you were like, well, here's what's going on in my kids' lives. And I just wanted to take them out, you know, uh, or I just wanted to take my son out for a day or two. And, um, and I was like, that's so cool. Why didn't he just say that? So now here's where it gets interesting. So that day... I was like sitting there just kind of thinking, you know, I got, again, I got a, you know, eight week old. I spent a lot of time rocking that kid and feeding him in middle of the dark and whatever. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, man, like on the one hand, I feel really thankful because I'm probably in a very similar financial bracket to Ed in the sense that I guess if we wanted to, I guess we could do this, you know? And in my mind I was thinking, okay, well, what would this, what would this cost? Okay. This is probably like a 5k weekend trip 
you know, $5,000. In my head, I had like made up this whole scenario. I was like, oh, okay, so it must be like a thousand bucks for flight. Da, 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 da. And somehow I ended up with like a $5,000 number. Okay. The next morning I wake up to, uh, you know, you roll over, you're feeding another kid. And, you know, after everybody's done, you get on Instagram and here comes a story from Ed. And the whole story was how he, you broke down how much you paid for this thing. And, you know, I don't want to like steal your thunder, but in, in no more than 30 seconds, you know, just one section of that video, you said it cost me X for this, X for that, X for this. And all of a sudden, like the mental model for me broke down. Like you did that trip for like under a thousand bucks. And yeah. that, I guess my point is, then I just texted, I was like, wait, 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 why did I make that so complicated? Like 5k is a big number. A thousand's still a big number for a lot of people, but it's way more accessible. And I guess, let me stop there for a second and see where you want to go with this. Because I think that, you know, I tweeted something in a similar vein to this, uh, I think a couple days ago where I said like, the mark of a professional is being able to distill complex ideas in very simple ways. And this is a perfect example of it. Like I instantly made it complex. Most people, when they think of a new idea, they instantly think of all the complexity. And then you just in 30 seconds were like, it's this, this, and this, boom, done. And I'm on an airplane. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's cool. And then separately, yeah. I'm going to make fun of you for not like doing this more often, by the way. I, you're, you're, <laughs> you should do something with this playbook of yours. But anyway, all right. Tell your side of it now. <laughs> should definitely do something more with the playbook. There's no question about that. But your your tweet is spot on. And like we're talking about, you know, Disney and how to make a trip approachable and stuff like that. But they're like, here's the theme that, that founders and entrepreneurs should not miss. Um, and I'm going to liken it to, to points and miles for a second just because it's it's easy for me to think that way. Um, you know, and actually, quick, quick aside for folks, if you have questions, um, email show at resultjunkies.com. Um, he is at pulsing on social media. I am at pizza in motion. Um, so this whole concept of making it relatable, people have always thought when they think about my travel that um, that I'm this like crazy, you know, you know, mad scientist spending hours and hours researching this stuff. And I, given that's not not far from the truth, but you don't need to do those things. Like if you think about that trip, this Disney trip for just a second, we broke down you know, Paul, you have United Miles. You, in theory, at some point, will have the ability to buy a Disney annual pass and you have the ability to search for award inventory on United and look for hotel pricing. So you've got a couple of easy pieces, but until I framed it up that way, you weren't thinking of framing it up that way. And so the I think the lesson there, and this really ties back so well to your tweet, is that you've got to, first off, you've got to think about where your customer is. Um, or, or you know where the person you're trying to impact is, and then you have to think about saying it in a way that they understand. Um, and that and it, it's so so key. It's like, um, and I think we've all had these conversations where you say something to someone and they go, oh, and they reply back to you with something that's completely different than what you said, and you, and you're like, no, 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 that's not what I meant, and you repeat the same thing. And <laughs> it's in that moment that you know you either realize that you need to change your picture you keep telling to the other person you don't understand you don't understand what i'm saying like common marital problems <laughs> um, but the people that are successful probably both in marriage and in, in in entrepreneurial activities are the people that go hey like i need to find a way to say this to paul in a way that relates to paul and you're, you're like your your text to me was a really good reminder of of having to translate if you will um and and how important it is for for founders to understand they need to meet customers um where they are yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I think I, in a similar vein, I've talked about this in the past where it's like, you know, the hard skills of entrepreneurship are pretty well documented. You know, what should a pitch deck look like? Uh, what is a good co-founder agreement? What is the right amount to pay for X? Those are hard skills that are pretty well documented. And, you know, as long as you can type in a coherent Google search, you'll get to the data. Um, the soft skills, however, of entrepreneurship are just much less often discussed. And those are things like, how do you um, not overthink these things? How do you kind of like, you know, be intellectually honest with yourself about what what needs to happen next? Because a lot of times you just do complicate it way too much. You know, I and I'll give you an example. So, uh, you know, with the way the funding environment is right now, I'm getting a lot more pitches. I'm sure you are too. And it's, 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 it is how it goes, but you, you know, you can almost see what a lot of founders are doing. Uh, they're, they're making things sound overly complex because I think they think that's what investors want to hear. Uh, like, like somehow we're sitting here thinking, gosh, wow, you have such a complex understanding of the environment and wow, that complex plan looks like it's going to hit. When in fact, it's so refreshing to just have somebody come in and say, look, uh, what I'm about to say is simple, not easy. Um, and here's the one, two or three things that I think we're going to have to get done over the next 12 months. Here's how much money we need to get to, you know, and, and there's something to be said about that. In fact, so there's this book, um, I forget who it's written by now. I'll remember it. It's actually right behind here, but it's, it's called Principles. Um, well, I'll find it in a minute. But anyway, it's a book called Principles. It's by the CEO of a financial firm. He has this one principle of, of like 100 in that book where he says, um, avoid assertive fast talkers. And, and what he's basically saying is, is, I think it's very similar. He's like, people that overly complexify things, talk very quickly, they're trying to show you that they're, they're really smart and you should just avoid that and be careful of that because there's, it's just not what you need. Like what, what most businesses need is just simplicity. Um, and, and it happens to the best of it. I, it happens to me, right? Like, like I said, I saw your text and I'm like, man, that sounds super cool. And in my mind, in that moment, I was like, gosh, I can't wait till the kids get out of diapers. Cause then maybe we could just jump on a plane the same day too. <laughs> but then the way you described it on that 30 second reel the next day was like, wait, 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 this is way more accessible financially and otherwise. Hey, well, now I could do that if I wanted to. Anyway, I, anyway, I, like maybe I'm beating on a dead horse here, but I think, I think this idea applies in so many ways, whether you're raising a family or raising a round or whether you're, you know, going on trips or thinking about your 2023 strategy simplicity is the key. And I think my unsolicited advice to you, Ed, is that I think the things you take, and this is true for anybody listening, by the way, like the thing is the thing that you take for granted, like the thing that you think is so easy, like being able to find these trips and make this all happen. It's like magic to the rest of us. And if right. you could figure out to, how to just do what you did on that, that one 30 second video, maybe for every one of your family trips, I think that'd be pretty cool. And then separately, I do stand by this idea that like, you should probably blog about it. And worst case scenario, you've created like more content weekly or whatever you do. But best case scenario, it becomes the beginning of this sort of like recipe site. I know it's complex, right? Like we talked about in the pre-show, but there is something to be said about uh, like me being able to say, I want to take four kids to Paris uh, whatever, what's, what are my options? And you just make it easy. Like, again, what you do to you seems really simple, but to the rest of us is like magic. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, and, and I think the underlying message here to tie this off is this this philosophy of the, the more that you can connect it to someone, the better. And, you know, for investors, I mean, people who pitch us on ideas sort of think that we're an expert on on everything um, or think that we have, you know, deep knowledge. And, I, you know, I mean, like you and I both love making money and the, the simpler you can explain it, the, you know, the better off we are. And I think, you know, like it's, there's this, I think, as you say, there's this a belief that if, uh, uh, in some cases, that founders feel like if they can make themselves sound really smart, um, it's this really complex problem that that will somehow want to be more vest, invested in them. But when at the end of the day, like the, you know, the, the simpler you can explain to me how the money goes from their pocket to our pocket, the the quicker I'm going to take my money from my pocket to your pocket. And that's, you know, that's that's a very basic, and that's, that's with any business. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. So... I always, I have this like saying, um, where I just talk about this idea where I just say like, look, these days I optimize for fun and profit in that order. Yeah. And then, and then related to that simplicity is sort of the key. Like let's have fun together. I mean, I think of, for example, you and I, I don't think we'd do all this stuff together if we didn't start from a position of just having fun together, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. but then like on the profit side too, it's like, we can also be really direct with each other when needed. Like what's in this for me? <laughs> yeah. And and there's a lot of, there's so much value in just being direct like that. And I think as a society, we sort of don't teach our kids to do that. You know, it's like, well, it's taboo to talk about money. It's taboo to do this, taboo to do that. And it's like, well, you're kind of setting them up to fail because the future of work kind of requires, I think more candor. I think it requires what, what some would call a T shape, uh, you know, set of skills like T being the top of the T being thin and broad. Like you should kind of know a little bit about a lot of things, but then the, the bottom of the T, like get really good at one thing. Like for example, you're for a T, like you as a T, if I were to describe you, the bottom of the T for you is like, you have a deep operational understanding of how business works. Like, you know, inputs, outputs, operational complexity, productivity, you, you like you are an ops guy at your core but then yeah. the top of the T, you know a little bit about a lot of stuff, uh, travel, technology, venture capital, you know, all, all these cross country, uh, you know, a little, and there's something about that that's magical. <laughs> um, and I think that's the future of work. All right. So we got, all right. So we got two, we got two places we can go here because there's one thing we other we talked about a little bit in pre-show, but we didn't talk about whether we wanted to weave it in here. So you get the, you get to choose where we're going next. We can talk about that, that deck that we need to anonymize on a deck, the, the LLC agreement, operating agreement that we need to anonymize a little bit, or we can talk about the, the very janky spreadsheet that I put together, um, uh, on Uber, Lyft and DoorDash. I want to talk about the spreadsheet you put together, but in case this jogs any ideas for people listening, I just want to throw an idea out there about this thing. So this other, this LLC thing. So here's the thing. Uh, years ago at 500, we open sourced our financing documents. We called it the 500 KISS. So you should be able to just download a debt, a debt financing agreement, equity financing agreement. Y Combinator has done the same thing. Techstar has done the same thing. That's, that's pretty old news now. It's 10 years ago. Everybody started doing it. And on the LLC side, for like what I would call air quotes here, lifestyle businesses, I'm curious why nobody's created a repository of uh, template, uh, you know, operating agreements and LLCs and stuff. So anyway, maybe open question to anybody listening. Does that exist? Have you seen it? If so, uh, send it to me in my DMs, email me. I want to know. All right. With that in mind, let's go to this spreadsheet because you, 
you texted me this morning and I'm not the kind of guy that wakes up and says, gosh, I could really use a spreadsheet right now, but you texted this to me. (laughs) (laughs) You texted this to me and I was like, huh, that is not what I thought was going to be, what those numbers were going to turn out to be. So why don't you set this up? Yeah. So as folks know, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, we, we own some restaurants and so, um, you know, I really, I'm trying to dig into this whole world of, of third party delivery platforms, Uber Eats, DoorDash, uh, Grubhub, stuff like that. And then there's this other side of our business, which I know you and I both participate in, which is as a business traveler, uh, you know, Uber and Lyft are a big part of our life. And so like, I started to wonder, uh, like we've talked about their earnings on the show and stuff like that. And I'm trying to figure out like, how do you really figure out the winners and the losers in in this space? Um, and so I try to come up with some metrics. I don't think they're anywhere near the best ones by any stretch of the imagination, but it just sort of got me thinking. And that was why I texted it to you because I've just been trying to figure out how you define best in breed in this space. And so I, I lined up uh, some numbers uh, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably try to tweet this and put a link in the show notes so people can take a look at it. Um, and this is probably another encouragement for us to take the show to video at some point. But... Uh, I took revenue for their most recent quarter, took headcount, um, which calculated to um, you know revenue per employee, and then I just threw in their quarterly losses because again I'm trying to extrapolate this, you know, like what makes a company a success here. And so I'm gonna start with DoorDash and Lyft, and then we'll go to Uber. And the reason for that, even though it's not the order I put them in the spreadsheet, is just that um, you know like DoorDash does just does food delivery, and Lyft really just moves people, and Uber you know, has a, a, a foot in both pop pools, especially, and they have some stuff in other pools, but those are the two big ones they make money off of. Um, so DoorDash had $1.7 million in uh, in revenue last quarter. Uh, and they billion. had eight billion, sorry, thank yep. you. Um, and 8,600 employees, which works out to just about $200,000 per employee uh, in revenue in the quarter. And we'll set the losses aside for a second. Lyft has a had a billion dollars in revenue last quarter, has about 5,000 employees, and that equates to roughly $200,000 per employee. So roughly the same earnings per employee for both those two companies, which, by the way, I think it's interesting to note, both of those two companies um, have announced layoffs. Um, and then you have Uber. Um, Uber had $29 billion in revenue, so more than 10x. They have 30,000 employees, which works out to just about a million dollars per employee in revenue generated. So, you know, you've got sig- just to, to put a put a, a pin on that significantly more revenue for Uber, and that and their revenue per employee is much higher. Um, even though they do have you know a lot more employees, they have significantly more revenue. They're really goosing the revenue uh, mix. And so, like, I think if you just looked at it from that standpoint, you'd say. Well, Uber has it figured out. Like they're killing it on revenue and they're, you know, they've got, you know, obviously an increased headcount, but they're killing it on revenue per employee. And so maybe they don't need to cut people. And again, I'm not saying I understand the data here enough to make a cohesive decision, but now overlay the quarterly losses. DoorDash on that 1.7 billion lost 300 million. And for what it's worth, I'm not using adjusted EBITDA here. I'm using net income or EBITDA. There are lots of adjusted EBITDA figures, and I, and I just don't know that I have enough sense of each of these businesses to tell whether their adjustments are real or imaginary. So, but we're using EBITDA here, and 1.7 billion. DoorDash lost 300 million last quarter. Lyft on uh, a billion dollars in revenue lost 500 million, and Uber on 29 billion lost 1.2 billion. 
So they had more losses than everybody else by a, a magnitude of more than 100%. And it's like lots of interesting numbers here. And I'm honestly sitting here not really sure what to think of them. I will tell you, like just listening to you and watching the, like looking at the spreadsheet in the, in the same window here, uh, like uh, my anxiety is getting tripped up big time here because I'm sitting here thinking like, can you imagine they lost two having billion dollars in a quarter and they're right, all still functioning? Right. How <laughs> how in the world are you sleeping at night? How is anybody sleeping at night over there? But you know, I guess that's the game too, right? Is that you know at that level you're sort of you get to that level. Uh, see, see, like it's interesting because when you start, everybody talks about start in the niche and you grow and then you kind of get deeper in the niche and that's how it goes. But then what people don't talk about very often is, is that once you get large enough, kind of like everybody becomes your competitor. So now you have not only like other direct competitors, like in this case, these three players, but then, you know, at a certain level of marketing spend or advertising spend, you're sort of fighting this war for attention and across all the noise that's out there. And, oh man, like anyway, I'm not adding any value to this part of the conversation. I'm just saying when you were walking through this spreadsheet, I'm sitting here thinking like, gosh, how is anybody sleeping at night? Is that even enjoyable for anybody? Um, but all right, now, let me now go to like what I think you're going to ask me, which is, I think this whole, you know, not to bring a, you know, Elon back up again, but <laughs> I, I think that, I think that the, the layoffs and, you know, sort of the cuts that he's done over there, you know, we'll, we'll see, I guess now as a private company, they're not going to release any real data, but the bottom line is, is that, uh, you can't really refute the fact that a number of updates per day or week seem to be way higher than they used to. Like, it's like, I'll load the Twitter website in the morning and load it in the afternoon and there'll be a little tweak. Uh, I'll check my app updates on my phone every day and there's almost always like a new version out there. So so I think all those cuts that he did probably has a lot of other people at these companies and other large companies thinking like, why in the world do we have all these people? <laughs> um, and that's terrifying, I know, if you're one of those people. But I mean, it, this is, I mean, look, you and I aren't, old by any means, but we're also not young either. And the thing is, is like, this is probably Speak our... for yourself. I feel pretty old. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm 41. Especially, I got today, like, especially, yeah. especially today after, 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 you know, 15 miles at Disney. On oh yeah. Yeah. I get it, man. But, but it's like one of those things where like, you know, this is probably our third recession as, you know, in the professional yeah. market. And what is, what happens? I mean, you know, all the excess of the prior quarters is going to get squeezed out now. And I think I was kind of poorly articulating this in the pre-show, but I think that um, what's interesting about every recession to me when you look at it from, you know, the proverbial 100,000 foot view is that every recession does usher in a new sort of, you know, uh, wave of companies, but it also kind of ushers in a new way of operating. Um, just talking in broad strokes here, it's like, the 2000 recession really kind of focused people in on using the web for things that could actually help other people as opposed to random pie in the sky ideas. The 2008 recession, very similar, but really got people focused on like, I think SaaS and e-commerce and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think this latest one, given where technology is today, I think one of the trends we're going to see come out of this particular recession is sort of this, um, kind of new way of thinking in terms of like, how many people do I really need? Um, and how much, or how much more technology can I apply to get to where I really want to be? Which I know that sounds really vague and I'm not going to go down this path too far, but I kind of called this a little bit, you know, uh, a couple episodes ago when we talked about 
Ethereum. Now I know you're probably like crypto. How in the world are we talking crypto? But the bottom line is like hardware just got a lot more accessible when Ethereum went from proof of work to proof of stake. And now I think you're seeing that in what's happened with open AI and GPT and all that stuff. Again, I know this is all over the place, but now let's come back to this. These numbers are staggering. I mean, you know, the only reason they're able to keep doing this stuff is because in the past, the public markets were hunting for yield so much that they could just keep pumping money into these things. Uh, and that's probably why nobody seems to be losing sleep about, what is this? These are like the top three companies in the player in, this, uh, in that space. And it's like almost $2 billion of combined quarterly loss. <laughs> like, like, that's no, not acceptable anymore. And I think all right, I just went down a path that you probably didn't want to go. Let me let me let me pause there. So no, I think it, I think there's, I think it's all good paths. <laughs> I don't think there's an answer here. I don't think there's an answer. I I think it's just all intertwined. It's so fascinating how much everything's intertwined. Um, yeah, you know, it's well, like yeah, like 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 like, like here, here's a here's a question for you. And again, I don't expect there's an answer, but I love the discussion. So we, I said this earlier. DoorDash and Lyft both laid people off. U Uber has said they don't need to. Um, they they the last had layoffs in in 2020. Is it responsible on Uber's part not to lay people off? Is it irresponsible? Did DoorDash and Lyft do the right thing? Like we're looking at these numbers, we're seeing how much they're losing. Does Uber have an obligation to lay people off even if they think they need them just because of how much they're losing? Or does their revenue premium give them the ability to keep trying to grab market share? Like what's the, like what's in these tea leaves here? Your, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, uh, like whatever story they're weaving again, I I probably should have gone and read like their um, public filings here before the before the 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 show here. But whatever story they're weaving in those filings must mean that money's still coming. Um, I I don't like to your question of like do they have an obligation to lay off or not? I, that's such a nuanced question. Uh, it, you know, like if on the one hand, if they have come up with a strategy and been able to articulate it to their investors in a way that the dollars keep flowing, then the answer to your question is no, they don't have an obligation to lay off. In fact, they have an obligation to follow through on whatever it is that they, you know, exchanged uh, in terms of story for that money. But I don't know, like uh, this whole thing is just so complex. Like, you know, on the, on the flip side, I would say, well, I'm looking at these numbers, I can't even fathom so like uber you're showing revenue here of 29 billion dollars is that court that's annual right how do i say this without sounding horrible I, like i don't think you could pay me enough money to to be running a company that large because it just seems like i don't know it just seems like there's other industries other places where you can make equal or even more amounts of money with probably a lot less stress but Maybe that's really foolish of me to say, and I'm not trying to deflect from your question here. But also, one other thing, I think it's also foolish to not say you're going to, or to say you're not going to do layoffs. Like that is just setting yourself up to get in trouble. <laughs> um, you know, because you just said there that Uber has claimed, and I'll, I'll take it your word for it, that they don't need to lay off people. That just seems really foolish to me because, you know, if, if, if investor sentiment changes, now all of a sudden you're eating crow and, it's just it's just a mess. The whole thing's a mess. I think why I would say it's irresponsible to say it is I don't think you're supposed to think and this uh, I could be wrong about this. I don't think you're supposed to think about your company in terms of should you lay off or not should you lay off. I think as a CEO, I think you have to wake up every day and answer two questions. First off, are you still selling a product your customers want? Like I think that's, you know, number 1. And then number 2, are you operating the business 
as efficiently as possible for your stakeholders, whoever that mm-hmm. is, whether you're public a company, publicly held company, privately held company. So it's not really about layoffs or not layoffs. It's about, you know, to your point, like maybe $1.2 billion in losses is fine because you have enough money coming in and maybe it's not, but th- like that condition, I think COVID taught us how that condition can literally change overnight. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, this is also like along the lines of the whole like Disney and switch from Bob Chappick to Bob, I- Bob Iger overnight, all that stuff. Like none of this stuff really happens overnight. Um, obviously there's all these little rumblings along the way. And so like a public comment about like, we don't need to do layoffs did strike me as odd. Um, mm-hmm. not because I, you know, not because I think they're wrong, but because I think as a CEO, like that decision can literally change tomorrow. So, um, so I think the right answer, and maybe maybe this give, doesn't give the markets the right level of confidence, so maybe they know more than we do. But I think the right answer is, like, we wake up every day trying to figure out the best way to maximize our business for our shareholders. And ourselves, you know. Yeah. All right, so total aside, and I, I know we got to wrap here soon. <laughs> you brought up Bob Iger. What in the world was that Sunday like? Like, I just imagine, I don't, I've never met the guy. I don't, I mean, obviously, right? But Bob Iger retired from Disney years ago, or I guess it feels like years ago, but... And then all of a sudden they bring him back on a Sunday night. Like, what was that guy's Sunday like? He's sitting there waking up. He's put some loafers on. He's eating his eggs and he gets a phone call. And then by the end of the phone call, he commits to another two years at Disney and starts on Monday. Like, what what does that day even look like? I hope that someday somebody does a documentary of what that day was like, because I can't even imagine that. Like, well, and, I, and I'll say like I'm like I don't want to nerd out on the whole thing. Well, well, hang on, just to be just to put this in perspective, you planned a Disney trip in one day, and I'm like, oh wow, that's huge. This guy like goes from eating eggs in his loafers to running a multi hundred billion dollar Disney empire the next morning. Like we are not the same. <laughs> well, I, I I think and I'm like we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll see the full story someday. I don't think he ever. I I think that this is something that's been like in the weeds for quite a while. And I feel like he's been in very comfortable clothes, crawling on his belly slowly, like trying to weave his way back in. Um, ah. and th- there have been lots of little bits and pieces along the way, but he has incredible relationships on that board. And I think, I don't know that he ever quote unquote really left, um, but he, but somebody else was CEO and uh, there definitely were some things along the way that he, uh, he, it's hard to say that he undermined Bob Chappick and that th- things like, like, like we'd have to get into this whole debate about was Disney right to be quiet in the beginning on the don't say gay bill in Florida or were they wrong or were they right to have comments later on? And like there's there's all these things that came out, you know, like there was this comment and I, like it's it's easy to see this 2020s. Hindsight's always 2020 um, in March and April of 2020, uh, you know, Bob Chappick, the old CEO, wanted to lay off, you know, thousands of Disney cast members. Um, and Bob Iger said, hey, we believe a government program is coming in a month. Let's just wait to lay them off. Which one of them is right? Like we're in the middle of like the biggest crisis that that any of us have ever lived through. And I don't know what the right answer was there. Like Iger ended up being correct from a results oriented standpoint. But that was one of the, the things that sort of like broke this relationship from the beginning is that, you know, he was he was exiting as a CEO and and un, un, uh, you know undercutting the new CEO like on the way out the door. Yeah, almost like like casting an invisible hand over the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's like some good inside baseball. We'll have to talk about that at some point. Yeah, and, and and next week we get to talk about that operating agreement and how it ties into divorce attorneys. So just just throwing that out there. Wow, that's that's riveting. I or terrifying. <laughs> we'll see where that that one ends up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, divorce attorneys uh, on the next episode of Results Junkies. Dun, oh dun, god, dun. yeah. 
uh, we'll see how that indexes on Beacon once that uh, keyword pops up. We'll see. Yeah, and, and on the Beacon thing, all right, I know you got to go, but on the Beacon thing, like, I, I, you know, I know you said, like, you know, you're, you're surprised I'm not ribbing you for, um, you know, for for the, the, the Beacons updates, but you got to remember, like, this is the whole building in public thing. Yeah. It's like, I get to see how you're thinking by how these updates go, and you're right, like, could they be better? Could they be more? Sure. Like, but that's not the point. The point is that now you've got something out there that like I can look at each morning and go, okay, like that's good. That's bad. Or I wonder what happened here. Like I can like peek inside your brain, which is both good and scary at the same time. I, absolutely. Well, ch- uh, if you're still with us, check that out to go to getbeacons.com and check out the either sign up for the daily newsletter or the weekly. Um, and uh, yeah, it should well, I need to write, fix a couple more things, but it should be getting better in terms of telling you what's what everybody's talking about um, day or weekly, whatever you like. So, all right, my man, I got to jump. I got to actually do some work as much as I enjoy hanging out with you. I got to jump to a call. But All right, fine. Do some work. I love it. All right. Uh, as always, enjoy your week uh, and I will talk to you soon. All right, man. See you, buddy.